is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. And a very good afternoon to you. It is so good to have you along today and... I really mean that today because things are a little bit different on the Country Hour here today. We're mixing it up just a little bit. It is a special feature program taking a look at the season so far for grain growers. How's it shaping up? How's it unfolding? And what lies ahead? What are some of those big decisions being made ahead of next year? Next year's planting, that is. It is six past 12 And it is so good to have you here on the Country Hour because for many WA grain growers, this year's harvest is shaping up to be even better than last year. And that is saying something because for many, last year was a season out of the box. At this point, the state is on track to at least match last season's record harvest of 24 million tonnes. But no one is going to be surprised if it's closer to 26 million tonnes, which means the crop will be worth a record value of around $10 billion. Now, just because you've produced a record crop doesn't mean it's been easy. Jason Batten farms at East Una, 460 kilometres north of Perth, just northeast of Geraldton. He says a dry spell through winter had him really worried about how the season would unfold. <laughs> well, it's been a bit up and down. It was a fantastic start for us here in the um, northern ag region. And then we had a dryish June and July, well, quite a dry ju- July. We thought we were stuffed in the middle of July, actually. And then it started raining and then, I guess... We had the probably the best spring we've we've ever had, and so we sort of pulled one out of the bag. I have to say, it's um, yeah, the crops are yielding excellent. So yeah, all in all, a great season, but it's certainly been a bit up and down. Yeah, unpredictable. Further south, just inland from the state's south coast, the rain is making it really difficult to harvest. At its worst, really, really waterlogged. Like we're sort of driving the chaser bin through all these sort of muddy areas and water was going everywhere, mud on the windscreen, um, which is pretty unusual for harvest time. And yeah, just a lot of areas we couldn't touch because it's very, very flat country. And so there's a lot of little lakes and boggy areas. That's Brianna Jones from Gardner, 470 kilometres southeast of Perth. The paddocks at her place are starting to dry out, but the rain is affecting the grain's yield and the quality. She started harvesting about five weeks ago, but as you can imagine, the rain has made the whole process really slow. Yeah, it's been incredibly stop-start. Yeah, 178 to 180-odd mils um, of rain since we got the header out the shed. It is really hard seeing, you know, what could have been such a good crop. I mean, in saying that, it's still it's still amazing and we're so lucky that we've still got a good crop. But yeah, the rain has certainly affected um, our yields a bit and also the quality of the grain. We haven't gotten into the wheat yet, but it'll be interesting to see how that's fared with all the rain on it. Heading east from Brianna's place at Gardner over to Cascade, which is about 100 kilometres northwest of Esperance to Scott Pickering's farm, where he's had a dream run. Well, it's been uh, probably the best year we've ever ever had. I think in 30 years it was it's been pretty amazing. Like it started raining and we had no summer rain, which I thought, oh, well, that's probably not a good thing. Normally we like to get a bit of summer rain, get a bit of subsoil moisture in the ground, and uh, basically it started raining the end of March, 
and kept raining all the way through and uh, and it's still raining so we've um, I think our average is 388 I think we're close to 500 mil now for the year but uh, you know it's been an amazing year like uh, not too far away from here they're getting waterlogged but it's just probably ideal for our soil and um, no it's been great season wise but obviously the last sort of six five six weeks has taken its toll for quality but uh, that's what uh, what's what happened at time that's the beauty of uh, farming sometimes I suppose. Scott Pickering harvesting at Cascade. Over at Bruce Rock, 240 kilometres east of Perth now, where Lee Strange is pretty happy with what he's seeing in the paddock this season. We had a big canola program for our, we're probably about 45% of our cropping program was canola this year. It averaged out pretty well. We had some of the best canola we'd ever grown and we probably had some of the worst that where it just got too wet and ended up falling over and dying but averaged out very good across the board. We've only done 100 hectares a week or so at this point, but it's certainly yielding better than I'd thought. And, uh, yeah, I I would have thought that this would probably be one of our lower-yielding paddocks, but it seems to be holding up pretty good for the first 100 hectares anyway. We we won't get too excited just yet. How is the season unfolding for you? And what plans do you have in place for next season? A special feature discussion here on the Country Hour today. It is 10 past 12. Would love you to be part of the conversation, share what's happening at your place, ask a question, because today three WA agronomist consultants, they're right here to help you plan and make the best decisions for next season. So be part of it. The text 0448 922604. And joining you here on the Country Hour today is Danny White, an agronomist at Brayley Consulting. She's calling in from York today, so about 100 kilometres east of Perth. Ben Wisson is here. He's a farm consultant with Consult Ag, and his clients are around the Lakes District. And Craig Topham is also here. He's an agribusiness consultant with Agrarian Management working in the northern agricultural area, sort of around Geraldton Way. Ben, this time last year, you said last year was a a once-in-a-generation season. Is this a second-in-a-generation season? I thought you might bring that up, Linda. (laughs) I I had a sneaky suspicion, but I I might have been a bit too quick to call it last year. But, um, look, it's it's certainly shaping up as as another one. A couple of months ago, as as spring was progressing and it was staying cool and mild. I thought, oh, are we going to reach next year? And, and how, how good it was. I didn't think it was possible after last year, but here we are. And it's certainly looking like it like it's another one. Craig, what about for you in your patch? What's it looking like around that Northern Ag area? And the, what are the clients telling you? Well, again, we had a magic season last year, as you say, yeah, once in a generation. And it's still very, very good this year. Some people will probably top last, last season. Uh, others, it'll be slightly under, but still a exceptionally good season. And yields better than we expected uh, across most crops. And look, lupins, some of the best lupins we've ever seen um, coming off this year, which is great. Did you think you'd get two in a row? Northern wheat. Definitely not. We were a bit nervous um, at the start of the season as... Um, Jace Batten uh, mentioned by mid-July we were in a pretty bad way. There was a lot of a lot of crops were blue, flat on the ground, and we were looking down the barrel of a, a, a pretty serious um, season. Then it started raining, and it kept raining, and it kept raining all through August, September, into October. Um, they always say in the northern wheat belt it's all about July, all about August, 
August if August is kind, the season is kind. Well, we got uh, August, September and part of October, all kind to us. Danny, what about you? What's the story? Uh, what's the patch that you cover? How extensive is it? And what's the situation this season? So I'm sort of central eastern wheat belt based, Belinda, um, covering a fair bit between sort of that Meriden, Coolan Lake Grace area um, and then back into the Avon Valley. Um, overall, yeah, very much like Ben and Craig have just said, you know, really good yields. Um, you know, there's been some fantastic results out east, um, especially in the areas that were hit by a fairly significant frost last year. So some of those farmers who did get the frost, has it really turned around this time round for most of those? Yes, yeah. Um, so, you know, the yields out there this year are, you know, Generally, everyone's got a pleasant surprise when they've got into a paddock with the harvester, so um, some good results coming out. Well, let's just focus in on that for a moment because, the, you know, I'm hearing that the grain yield across all the regions is well above average and in some cases, you know, best ever, and the quality also impressive, as Jason Batten from UNA will tell you. Quality's excellent, so... Yeah, the proteins are up and down, but that's understandable with the finish of the season. So um, we delayed, uh, delivered some wheat the other day that actually weighed um, 86 hectolitre weight, and I've never delivered wheat that heavy. So that was pretty amazing. So, yeah, no screenings, nothing to complain about at all, really. So it's just been... Um, yeah, pretty smooth sailing during harvest. So, yeah, every farmer loves that. Craig Topham, is that the story? You know, once farmers have got out into the paddock and the crop's coming off, has it been a bit of a surprise, what, what they're seeing? Yeah, well, like Jason, again, the quality is excellent. Uh, um, grain size, grain weight is good in, in the cereals, or wheat in particular, but, yeah, protein is, is very low. You can see by the, um, the size of the uh, SW9 stacks around the northern wheat belt, there's a lot of grain going into the lower protein stacks, but that's due to the exceptional yields. It's very hard to, to get um, very high yield and protein all at once. And given that uh, in mid-July, when we're making our, our key nitrogen decisions, we were looking down the barrel of a, of a disaster. So I think everyone would say we're a bit underdone on nitrogen, which is uh, a big contributor to the low proteins that we're seeing. Ben, take us for a look around the patch you cover around that Lakes District area. Are there, are there surprises or this is pretty much what's expected when it's come to sort of the yield and the quality that's coming off this time? It's pretty well expected for, for where we were. I mean, yield-wise is, is certainly up on what we were thinking coming into harvest. Um, I suppose where, where we're coming from is traditionally we've been a, a maximum kind of three-tonne sort of area. And, and then for the last couple of years, we've got these crops pushing four and five tonne that, that we just didn't think were possible through the lakes region three years ago. So we're, I, just, I guess we, don't hope, we can't hope for, that, for those high yields, so we don't kind of forecast them. So there, there's been some pleasant surprises in that regard. And, yeah, understandably, when, you, when you're pushing high yields, the, the protein has been down because we haven't fed them enough. But um, pleasingly, the, the, a fair bit of the barley has been, been gaining malt grade, which has been a, a pleasant surprise. Well, there have also been some challenges this season. Let's have a talk about those for a moment. Here's Mel Thompson. He's a farmer at South Stirling, around 70 kilometres northeast of Albany. The biggest challenge has been this year has probably been um, disease in barley, which has got nothing to do with the weather, but um, 
Yeah, we've had a, a lot of disease in, in a couple of the varieties of barley and it's just been a pain trying to get it under control. So we'll see how well we're done once we uh, get into some of the barley. And there have also been a few issues at Scott Pickering's place at Cascade. Like, you know, we're sitting on about 13.5-14% moisture now, picking up windrows that we've thought was a great idea to uh, windrow and probably not so good an idea now as it turns out, but we've had to actually rake the windrow over halfway to dry the bottom out so we can keep harvesting. So it's been a, been a fairly challenge and someone said to me, well, we're sort of, you know, this is our last year, so um, someone said to me, Mother, nature hasn't finished with me yet. And Ashton Hood at Kojanirup, about 100 kilometres northeast of Albany, has a few concerns after a series of rain events this season. To be honest, I think it's the canola seems pretty good. I know some of the wheat sprouted, but definitely not all of it. Uh, and the barley's a bit of an unknown, but more than likely we've lost a bit of hectolitre weight in the barley. But uh, look, feed barley for us is pretty common practice. We, um, being on the south coast, we do struggle with colour anyway. So, yeah, I'm sure we've lost something, but it's not... Definitely not terrible. Yeah, like we've been pretty lucky, I think. Danny White from Braley Consulting. What's been the biggest challenges in your patch? Um, there's probably been a few. Like I think um, definitely the seeding logistics. Um, we had a brilliant opportunity to double knock um, through seeding this year. So managing logistics of getting knockdowns out over paddocks, double knocks in a lot of cases, but also making sure we get the timing right on our Grass weed control in early sown canola crops has certainly been a challenge. Um, mice were the other big conversation factor throughout the wheat belt with some paddocks, you know, having some clear evidence of some significant damage. Um, so making decisions on mice, which is not normally something that we have to deal with. How did the growers get on top of that in your patch? Um, so there was some aerial baiting um, that took place um, and as well, um, you know, sort of knocking up, you know, bait spreaders behind utes, motorbikes, tractors, um, just to try and make sure that, especially on high-value crops, that we weren't losing plant numbers or potential yield from, from mice. And is it under control now? Look, I'm not seeing a lot of mouse activity um, at present in paddocks. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens over summer um, in, in the lead-up to next year. It's certainly something we're going to have to monitor closely. Craig Topham from Agrarian Management, uh, taking a look around that northern ag area. I mean, you had a pretty dream run in the end. You had that little dry patch around June, July, but it was a pretty great finish. Were there any problems besides that sort of worry about the rain uh, during winter? Look, it was, it was quite a challenge at the start of the season. We got um, a lot of summer rain and a lot of early rain, which was great. It gave us that early sowing opportunity, but that did pose a, a massive logistical challenge of getting over the country to manage that weed burden. Uh, we had multiple germinations, multiple knockdowns, but then when the rain kept going through August into September uh, and from July onwards, the late germinating weeds have been a challenge to manage that. So I think uh, most people have been over their paddocks uh, a few more times than normal. So logistical ch challenges of ensuring that we get all the timings right um, has, has been a quite an issue. Um, the late germinating weeds will continue to be an issue we have to contend with next year. Um, that's a, uh, a factor of the late rains. So that's one thing we do have to, uh, to manage. And um, on another note, I think uh, 
bogged headers. The northern wheat belt doesn't normally have to worry about headers being bogged, but we're getting a, uh, a number of reports of the odd, odd header going down. So that's a challenge that is very rare in the northern wheat belt. <laughs> ben Wisson from Consult Ag. Did you have to deal with the, the, ra- the late rain in uh, the area that you cover, the clients that you're in around that lakes district too? And was there any sort of problems like sprouting or anything like that as a result of that weather? We did get the, the early harvest rain, not quite like the guys right down on the south coast, but certainly we had somewhere between 40 to, to 80 mils for a large area of our, our patch right at the start of harvest, which put the brakes on and um, probably allowed people to get a bit more ready, but it's, um, it has delayed the start. But quality-wise, we're not having too many issues with sprouting so far. Danny and, and Craig talked about mice and, and ryegrass that, and late germinating weeds with ryegrass. They've certainly been a couple of issues for us through our area. And now uh, the other one that's starting to rear its head is, is ergot is starting to cause some problems in the southeastern end of my area. Like the, the high yields that they're getting down there are, are certainly been amazing, but, but when the grain gets rejected um, at the bin, then the problem becomes multiplied. So that's, yeah, I, I guess a case of, of um, yeah, just a one more problem that we've got to deal with but certainly um it's it's all positive mostly and what about how much and i know it's it's fairly early for some of you too with how much is going to how much of the crop is going to feed what's the story for you ben uh yeah hard hard to tell what what percentage if if i had to take a guess i I would say 50 percent maybe um the grain marketers will, will correct me probably um but it's, which is which is not uncommon, but it, it's more when, I guess the, the ergot is becoming too much of a problem that it gets rejected, and and they've got to clean it or find somewhere else to take it, and that's that's what's causing a bit of stress at the moment. Danny, what are you seeing uh, around your area then, as far as the, you know, how much wheat is going to feed, or concerns around that? Um, at the moment, from what I've seen talking to clients, uh, a lot of it is hitting the ASW um, stacks just based on protein. Um, a few guys are saying they're starting to find the odd sprouted grain in their um, in their samples, so going through falling numbers machines. But overall, I'm not hearing of significant amounts of grain going into the feed stack in the wheat situation um, at the moment. A lot of barley has gone feed um, just based off lower protein or not hitting that um, or the variety or the fact that it might have been crop topped um, for that late um, you know late weeds germinating and for you then Craig no, the quality has been exceptional there's very little downgrading apart from the lower grades due to the lower protein but um, very little issues with, with um, sprouting or any of the uh, other issues I think you'll find the northern wheat belt feed stacks are very very small at the moment this, yeah, go ahead. The the canola is the one that was surprising in that uh, the oil co- um, content of most of the, the newer canola varieties was exceptional. With we've got clients averaging sort of eighty to ninety dollars uh, a ton oil bonus, some well over a hundred dollar bonus. Um, so that's a very handy uh, bonus uh, with these newer varieties with the high oil content. Wow, how many seasons has that sort of come around? I think the new new varieties or new management techniques where we're seeing oil. Um, oil levels increase but again it's very seasonally dependent and the mild finish has kept the oil up and it's it's a handy bonus
Yeah, it must be. Sure is. 24 past 12 here on the Country Hour on the ABC, right across Western Australia. A special feature discussion here on the Country Hour today, just taking a look at the seasonal conditions around the wheat belt, how it's going from region to region, and also looking ahead to next season because there are a few challenges going into next season. It is going to be expensive to put in that crop. We'd love you to be part of it too. 0448 922 is the text if you'd like to text through and be part of the conversation. Ben, how important is it to just take a moment and enjoy this season, which you know really does appear to be on track for a record crop around about the 26 million tonne mark? It, look, it's super important, but before I go on with, on with that, I just wanted to clarify when I was talking about ergot and, and the feed situation before I was actually talking about barley, not wheat. So I just wanted to clarify that in case that was unclear. But um, in terms of, of enjoying it, look, it's, it's, it's one of those rare years, I guess, where, where yields and pricing is still excellent. And, and I know it's getting overshadowed a bit by things next season, but I really hope that people can really just enjoy the, the season and, and harvest is a great time of year when, when all the hard work pays off. And, and this year it certainly has paid off because the, as we're talking about the seasons and how often these, these kind of good ones come along. I mean, um, it, it really is something to celebrate and, and, and it shows that, that all the work that we put in, in in the poor years and the systems that we set up, set up and put in place pay off in these really good seasons for these record yields. So... Um, I hope people can still appreciate that and, and just really enjoy it. Danny? I, yeah, 100% agree with Ben. It's pretty special. Um, I actually was chatting to my grandfather who um, is in Muck and Boden farming and he's in his 80s now and I said to him, you know, Pop, how, how good is this year compared to what you've seen over your lifetime? And he said, well, I thought last year was good, Danny, but I've never seen it this good. It's amazing, so... I think it's important to just reflect how how special a year like this is, despite all the challenges that have been associated and we've been frustrated by um, that have generally come from it being such a great season. Craig, anything to add there? I think it's exactly right what Danny is saying. It's um, a lot of the northern wheat belt had a pretty good year in 2020, and then we had 21 and now 22. So um, we've had a run of three generally very very good to record years, and yeah, people are enjoying it and talking to clients out there they're actually enjoying harvest yes there's some challenges out there but it's great to have these challenges um it's really show, it pays off all the hard work like ben said is now paying off and it's going to pay off financially for for the um WA farmers it's great 27 past 12 here on the country hour well there are you know there are a few challenges ahead there have been those challenges there this season and they're certainly going to be there in 2023 so do take that moment to celebrate but at the same time there are some of those concerns about the key inputs like the cost of wages fuel fertilizer chemicals all going up I mean and on top of that there's the the rising interest rates too so next year's crop is going to be expensive to plant maintain and harvest, which to some extent takes a little bit of a shine off this season's crop, which is still being harvested. Here's Lee Strange at Bruce Rock. It doesn't take much of a hiccup to bring things down if your cost of production is 30 or 40% higher than it has been last year and probably looking at another increase next year. Guys are very nervous about you know having a minor hiccup because it doesn't take much of a setback when you're got a lot of money invested in this crop 
So everyone's, yeah, I think that's where the nerves come from. Ben, how are farmers managing these costs? What sort of strategies are they putting in place to sort of deal with a situation that lies ahead? Well, where we are at this point in time for next season, I'm not quite sure how you manage them, to be honest. Look, mo- look most of our um, so-called variable, variable cropping costs are actually now fixed costs. So there's really limited ability to, to reduce our operating expenses. But don't get me wrong, it's still important to be mindful of some of these costs as, as when you've got high input prices, things can escalate pretty quickly if you're not keeping an eye on them. But a lot of the pricing and... and We'll just see if we can reconnect with Ben. Danny, what are you seeing as far as how farmers are uh, approaching the season ahead in terms of getting in really early and and sort of putting in some strategies to deal with the season ahead? I think in terms of the input prices, look, things in terms of chemical and fert prices, you know, we're already coming off the back of a year with higher input prices. So we've, we've done it this year and we know what we're in for next year. So it comes down to understanding and knowing your business and your production risk, um, you know, whether that be frost or drought or potentially capital, um, and understanding your own risk profile when making those decisions. So I think the being being proactive about being organised, we know that the supply chains have blown out over the last couple of years, um, being organised and being able to make flexible decisions on the go dependent on the season are, are essential for setting the business up for, in the best position for a year like um, we're going to encounter next year. Craig, what are your observations? Well, we've had three good years and I think a lot of the um, a lot of farmers have put in an extra couple of paddocks um, over the last few years just to take advantage of the uh, conditions at the time, at seeding time. So, 2023 is going to be, um, i say, a year of, of caution, very cautious with our rotations, and only sowing the paddocks that are well prepared, going into 23 with high input costs and cropping paddocks that aren't well prepared. Now, I mean, by that I mean um, good nutrition history, um, liming history, deep ripping on appropriate soils, high weed burdens, anything that's going to increase the risk on that paddock doesn't have to go in. Can we do something different? Um, I'd say we crop less and do it well. Uh, we're definitely seeing after a number of very high-yielding high years and high-nutrient removal, where we've seen phosphate rates in particular cut back, it's showing up in the yields this season. So uh, going into a high-cost year and cutting back on inputs is probably not the best way to go. go not the best way to go on the better paddocks. Um, you may be better off cropping less and putting the same fertiliser on less area and doing it well. Are they in the best, the growers, after, you know, a couple of good seasons in a row, are the growers in the best financial position to sort of manage uh, the costs that lie ahead? Yes, it's it's a lot easier to, to do it. A stomach that high cost, once you've had a couple of good years, for sure. But it's still, we look at every paddock as a business decision. Can we make a reasonable return on this paddock, given the risk associated with, with that paddock? And whether it be um, uh, climate region, weeds, nutrition, um, yes, we can afford to pay for the inputs, but we we still have to get a return on those inputs. So, and looking at doing things differently, um, legumes, uh, the value of soil nitrogen. There's a lot of other things out there that we can do to help build a lower cost 
cropping system. And I think that's the, the emphasis is what can we do to reduce the risk and cost base of our, of our cropping system? And that's fallow, it's legumes, it's uh, changing rotation. Ben Wisson, you're back with us here on the Country Hour and you were cut off when the Thailand dropped out. But did you have anything to add before we move on? No, I think I think those guys have, have hit the nail on the head, especially when, when Craig was talking about um, doing less hectares but doing it well. I, I'm not quite sure where I, I cut out earlier, but that was probably the um, the point I was trying to make at the end was, was that um, we need to be prepared for a good season uh, in case it eventuates to maximise our opportunity. But yeah, if um, we also need to be prepared to cut our losses and reduce our cropping area if the start of the season doesn't look good. Well, stick around here on the Country Hour, 27 to 1, having a discussion today with some agronomists and um, ag consultants sitting around the table. Ben Wisson, you just heard from Consult Ag. Danny White is from Braley Consulting and Craig Topham from Agrarian Management talking about the season that is and looking ahead to next season and some of the strategies being put in place to manage uh, the crop for next season. Uh, The cricket is being played at the Perth Stadium. The first test, Australia versus the West Indies at lunch on the second day. Australia 3 for 402. Steve Smith is not out on 104. And Manus Lubushain, he was the last man out for 204. And uh, heading off to the... Bureau of Meteorology now, where Luke Huntington is standing by to give you all the latest information. Luke, how's it looking around the southwest land division this afternoon? Yeah, um, we do have a trough uh, through the eastern parts of the southwest land division. So we're seeing some uh, very hot temperatures uh, through the Esperance region and also still some warm temperatures lingering around the wheat belt in the Great Southern there. Got low to mid 30 temperatures through the Esperance region. Um, we've still got high 30 temperatures. Esperance is uh, 37 degrees as a max today and the trough will keep moving east today. So we will see a cool change uh, coming through those um, areas uh, later today. So um, um, Esperance will be uh, with that change uh, by this evening, uh, but no real uh, precipitation or weather to speak of. All the thunderstorms have moved east out of the thunderst- uh, out of the southwest land division, so we're just left with some cloudy conditions along the west and southwest coasts. Um, as we head into tomorrow, uh, the trough continues to move east, but there's no real sort of good flush out of. Um, of the of the warm air through inland parts, so through the uh, the wheat belt there and Great Southern, they're still going to be in the low to mid 30s tomorrow. The the coolest areas are, will be for areas near the west and south coasts with temperatures in the low to mid 20s. But again, tomorrow we're not expecting um, any sort of precipitation. Um, any thunderstorms should be north and east of the southwest land division. And heading into uh, over the weekend, um, we could see a return of thunderstorms over eastern parts of the Wheat Belt and northeastern parts of the Great Southern. So over the Wheat Belt, those thunderstorms could be far as far west as um, the Meriden area. So the, about, around Meriden, Southern Cross will be the main area through there and just over far northeastern parts of the Great Southern, but they should be sort of east of, of, of Hyden. So those thunderstorms are going to be fairly high-based, so little to no rainfall associated with them. So uh, we could see some dry lightning over those areas on the Saturday period. And similar conditions on the Sunday with the thunderstorm area, maybe just a little bit further east, so mainly confined over over those far northeastern parts of the Great Southern and over the very far eastern wheat belt. So 
the area there would be the sort of the Southern Cross area. Southern Cross area would be the greatest risk of a storm. But again, little to no rainfall with uh, those thunderstorms. Um, we could also see thunderstorms uh, over the uh, Esperance area on the Sunday period, just as a mid-level trough moves through. So sort of a wider area um, there. So, um, But the, again, not too much rainfall with any um, showers or storms, so m mostly dry once again. And then by Monday, we'll see... Um, the ridge developing again, so uh, the thunderstorms will con will contract out of the southwest land division, and we'll just be left with some onshore flow, just uh, producing some light showers about the south coast. And Luke, what have you got for northern and eastern parts of the state? Yeah, uh, looks like we've got some thunderstorms forecast over the over the eastern gold fields, uh, into the western interior and into the far eastern Gascoigne today, also into the uh, central Pilbara. So those thunderstorms, again, are high-based with little to no rainfall, so dry lightning is a risk again today. Um, but it looks like it's sort of east of uh, Kalgoorlie, so not, ex not expecting thunderstorms as far west as that region. Um, and then the trough, as I mentioned, will move further east tomorrow, so only a small area of thunderstorms uh, through the far western interior, the far northern goldfields and the adjacent Gascoigne tomorrow, again with little to no rainfall with those storms, but um, still um, remaining pretty hot through the Eucla and the goldfields region into the interior with temperatures uh, into the high 30s or even close to 40 degrees. And uh, heading into the weekend, uh, we will see that thunderstorm area uh, enlarging a little bit. So we're going to expect thunderstorms over most of the gold fields uh, into the far southeastern Pilbara and into the western interior and eastern Gascoigne, again with some quite uh, warm temperatures inland, uh, temperatures into the low 40s. Uh, by Sunday, uh, that uh, those thunderstorms will contract a little bit further east, but fairly a fairly similar area um, through the through the far southeastern Pilbara, western interior, and goldfields. Again, high base thunderstorms, little to no rainfall, and uh, on Monday again uh, a thunderstorm area, but probably contracting to the northern goldfields, the interior, and the far eastern Gascoigne with little to no rainfall. Um, and it's getting, as I said, it's getting, it's pretty hot over um, a lot of the. Pilbara and uh, inland parts of the Kimberley interior uh, later this week and over the weekend. So it uh, looks like we're, we're going to have severe to extreme heat waves um, throughout that period. All right. Well, it is the first day of summer today. Any warnings on the agenda this afternoon? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned with those uh, the heat wave, we do have a heat wave warning out, and um, that's covering the south interior at the moment, but it's most likely going to extend to northern parts of the state uh, over the weekend. And we also have a minor flood warning for the Fitzroy River continuing for the next couple of days, and just a uh, strong wind warning for the Albany and Eucla Coast for today. Thank you very much for that, Luke. Luke Huntington, it is 21 to 1 here on the Country Hour and just taking a look at the rainfall, any hardly any rain anywhere in the state in the last 24 hours. In the Pilbara, Karajini North and Newman received two mils. In the southern coastal region, Salmon Gums Research Station and the Stirling South Deepherd Station both had four mils. And then in the great southern region, there is the, just the one odd reading. Nyabing GRDC registered nine millimetres. Nowhere else recorded five mils or over. A bushfire in the Shire of Denmark has been downgraded this morning. It's now an advice level and there are currently no threat to lives or homes. But although there is no immediate danger, you do need to be aware and keep up to date 
in case the situation changes. To do that, uh, to get for more information, just go to Emergency WA. It is 20 to 1. Just note too that the Mount Barker cattle market, the, yeah, the cattle sale has gone into its two-day format, which happens around this time of year. So no update today. It'll be sort of the two-day uh, wrap of the market here on the Country Hour tomorrow, 19 to 1. And a special feature here on the Country Hour today, just taking a look at this year's grain season and also looking ahead to the planning that's already underway for next season's crop. This season, it looks like it's going to be a record uh, on track to sort of the same as last year's record, 24 million tonnes. But it does look like it's going to be a bit more than that, around about the 26 million tonne mark, which will mean it's a record crop value of $10 billion. So you can be part of this discussion too. Sitting around the table today, Craig Topham from Agrarian Management, Ben Wisson is here, he's from Consult Ag, and also Danny White from Brayley Consulting. Also here is Mel Thompson. He's a farmer at South Stirling, about 70 kilometres northeast of Albany. And he says one of the really big challenges this season, and, and probably for the last couple of years, has been getting supplies of anything. And that's a big worry. If you buy a piece of machinery nowadays, it's at least 12 to 18 months away before you even see it. Chemical, uh, seed, everything seems to be scarce. And when it's like that, I suppose people then book early or lock, lock stuff away early and lock away a little bit more than they probably need, which creates a worse scenario. So, so just getting what you want when you want is probably the hardest thing you can do and you know, the hardest thing there is in today's market. Ben, with that in mind, how have farmers' management plans and strategies changed over the last couple of years? I mean, do you think with the sort of challenges that you know Mel's just been talking about, that they've become better or more organised than ever before? Well, I think they've had to be. Um, often a shortage of, of product can mean the, the brakes go on the whole system. So, so they really can't afford to go out without seed or fertiliser or some of these critical supplies on hand. So what it's me- meant is that farmers just have to carry more stock, unfortunately, for them. Um, it, it can't be relied upon to be able to just go into town and pick it up when you need to. And, and I, I think some of the suppliers have, have really communicated some of this stuff quite well. So that they've given, given farmers the the opportunity to, to purchase early and get it on farm and, and most of the time they've taken that, that up and, and have had things on hand and that's kind of seems to be the normal now where, yeah, you, you've just got to have a, a reasonable inventory of some of your own stuff just to make sure that, that the operation doesn't stop because we know that timeliness is a, is a critical factor. Craig, what have you noticed? I've noticed the same. Look, um, I think it's critical in today's environment um, to work very closely with your supplier. Now, whether that's your your parts, your fertiliser, your herbicides, machinery, um, we've got to work with them. The whole supply chain's um, slowed down over the recent years, so we've we've got to work together on that. And it comes back to probably planning early and ordering early. Um, There's been a big shift to just getting those plans and planning early. And in doing that, I'm seeing a greater preparedness to carry reasonable inventories. So people are carrying inventory of the key parts, um, key herbicides. Um, uh, canola seed is a, a critical one. We're carrying an a, a inventory of a, um, a range of varieties to suit 
any season. So it's an industry-wide issue, um, but people are taking control of it by carrying an inventory of those key inputs they need. What about, you know, one of the other challenges this season has been the grain prices, and they are still historically high, but they have been on a bit of a roller coaster ride this season. How have growers coped with those fluctuations? Are you finding some just thrive on that sort of situation, or what have you seen, Craig? Look, every farm business is different there in their risk profile, their environment, but um, forward selling, there's been some very, very attractive forward prices out for two years, available for a while now. So the people have been proactive in their forward selling campaign, are definitely um, reaping the rewards of that. Um, I don't think the volatility is going to change anytime soon. Uh, it's only going to get more. But where there's volatility, often there's opportunity. So um, being very proactive with your grain marketing, um, I think, is, is, is the key. And um, forward selling where possible. If there's a decile nine price out there and you've got some production um, certainty, uh, we've got to, be, got to be grabbing them early. Ben, what have your clients been doing? How have they been sort of coping with the volatility in the prices? Well, it's... Yeah, it's not my specialty, and, and I, this is a bit of a shout-out to the grain marketers and the farmers that are, that are trying to sell grain at the moment because I think they've got a pretty tough job. But, yeah, farmers manage it. that They're, they're pretty adaptable, and, and they have to be. It's, it's a critical part of their business. So I think some of the, the guys that handle the best that, that I deal with, they, they, they have a grain marketing strategy, that, and they tend to stick to it. Um, they tend to have a target of how much of each grain they want sold by a certain date and, and aim towards that because... Yeah, I mean, obviously, in most years, we're seeing a $100 a tonne price fluctuation for a lot of grains. And, and um, yeah, you could be well into or well out of the money, depending on when you sell. So if you, if you come up with a strategy and, and stick to, to, or at least aim towards that, I think that takes some of the stress out of the situation of, of um, yeah, dealing with some pretty big numbers these days. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big decision. Danny, what have you noticed in your patch? Fairly similar to Ben and Craig, I guess, you know, you have your grain marketing strategy um, and I guess, you know, you're not expecting to always consistently sell at the highest price that the market has hit over the course of the 12 months or so, but you want to sell, you know, and sell most of your grain at an average price that's, you know, high and fits your cost of production and, and business. So being proactive and talking closely with your grain marketers, I think, is, is pretty critical. You have to be pretty, well, super organised, really, over the last couple of years, considering, you know, if you want to get your hands on some supply, whatever it is, you do have to be organised. What sort of toll is that taking on growers? Danny? Um, look, I think that, you know, the last few years, there's been a lot happening with pandemic, you know, globally and, you know, seasonality on farms. So I think that, you know, there is there is a fair bit of fatigue around especially when it comes to constantly having to make decisions that are being brought forward early and so hopefully you know we finish harvest and everyone can get to the coast and hopefully enjoyed some you know some relax and chill out time and uh, you know refresh themselves ready for next year. Yeah that's certainly important just to get that break. Uh, it is 12 to 1 here on the Country Hour. Well considering the the costs associated with next year's crop growers are you know, taking a look at making some changes in some cases, and some already have, even for this season, like Jason Batten out at East Una, he's running more sheep. 
I am running running more sheep, but we did secure a bit more land too. So like that with the lease this year, so you know was able to do that. Uh, something that we did look at doing, given the like price of fertilizer and that sort of thing. But then given the wheat price and the price of grain, so it's all pretty comparative. So I, you know, we haven't got too carried away with that of swinging either way. We're just trying to keep keep everything pretty much you know as we normally do it and i'm glad we did you know because the wheat price is good at the moment and the yields are really good for wheat so i'm glad we didn't change anything around too much so um a few more livestock in the system yes but not too many changes really ben what are you noticing in your patch anyone making any big changes to programs next season well, the same as what Jason was talking about. For the, for the first, probably the first time in my career, I, I am seeing some clients buy sheep in to try and increase their the pasture area of their business. These, these are guys that are um, already running stock and, and generally run a self-replacing stock. But when we've sat down to do some of their planning for next year, when when we're looking at the numbers, we think well, actually for the last twenty percent of their cropping program, they, these are typically the um, the paddocks that drag the averages down and 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 could potentially be losing money based on some of the figures for next year. So buying a few more ewes actually seemed like the, the least risk and, and probably almost more profitable option, which, as I mentioned, is probably the first time in my career that I've seen that. Craig, what about you? Yeah, I think the, the people are still running livestock in the, in the North Midlands and the Northern region uh, are generally keeping a few more back. They're increasing their, their numbers slowly uh, due to the, the high input costs. But there's a lot of country that... Like like Ben said, it's it's the it, the paddocks that drag your average down that we're making very slim margins or losses on. Uh, we're looking at doing something different on them. In in some cases, it's livestock. Other cases, it's a fallow. We will increase our area of fallow. There's um, the people that are running the very intensive fallow systems in the northern wheat belt are uh, um, doing exceptionally well. Very low input costs and and exceptionally good yields this year. So I think we'll see more fallow. Now we're also seeing a increase in in pasture legumes, so a lot more inquiry over the last two years now, just to increase. If we're leaving country out to pasture, what can we do to it to not only run livestock but build the soil nutrition up for the following year's crop? So we're seeing an increase in in legumes sown for grazing uh, to build up soil nitrogen, and that's that's a, a distinct change we've seen over the last two years as the fertilizer prices have gone up. Nine minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Well, on the other hand, Mel Thompson from South Stirling doesn't plan on making any major changes next season. My program stays fairly constant. Um, I don't try to chase markets or anything, but um, unless something unforeseen happens, it'll be, it'll be fairly similar to this year. And I guess with all the rain over the last sort of month or so, there's plenty of moisture in a lot of parts of the wheat belt, you know, moisture in that soil. Uh, Danny, how many growers will be thinking, I'm just going to stick to the plan, spray the weeds, preserve that moisture and just, you know, go ahead like Mel's going to do and just um, stick to the usual program? I think over the summer months, you know, the strategy is to make sure that you are maximising that stored moisture. Um, The, you know, decision to whether you're, um, you know, going to leave that extra paddock out or potentially um, even fallow some of the, you know, the lower potential paddocks like Craig was mentioning um, will come during the break of the season. But, you know, generally where if a paddock's planned to go in crop, you're going to ensure that the summer spraying and paddock 
management in the lead up to seeding is done the decision to you know maybe drop or to put the extra paddock in will depend on the break of the season Ben Wisson yeah I'd agree with that completely um also I guess with the summer spraying it's probably about having a a bit of flexibility as well so it's um yeah thinking about what's your plan a and, and and what's your plan b and just making sure you've got both of those scenarios covered when you've got and enough paddock set up so that you've got the ability to adapt um, come the season break next season. Craig, any final thoughts there? I think that's uh, exactly right. It's keeping the, the paddocks prepared so that you've got the uh, opportunity to take advantage of whatever the season throws at you and making sure we've got some weed control, good stubble cover and um, having the paddocks prepared. There's still good margins on with average yields with the current pricing. So if you're doing it well, there's still a good margin to be made. It's the where we don't do it well that we run a very high risk of actually a low margin or a, a loss on that paddock. That's what we have to cut out. Seven minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Well, generally speaking, um, it's been two incredible seasons back to back. So what are the chances of it being three in a row? Hopefully it keeps going, really. It'd be great for everyone. In low rainfall, you, you never know what's around the corner, so you always are a little bit conservative, I guess, in terms of the way that you play your season and you know how bad it can be. So we're just like loving the good times while it's rolling, yeah. <laughs> Jason Batten from East Una, and meanwhile, Mel Thompson at South Stirling. Well, he isn't prepared to give his final analysis on the season at this point. I'll tell you, January the 1st next year, um, at the moment, it's been it's been a nice season, but um, uh, it's never never in the bank until the grain's in the silo or in the in the bin. So, at the moment, it's nice, but there's still two months to go. It's a good point, isn't it? Uh, and there's so many growers still very busy on the headers getting that crop off. That is the job at hand right now. What are the stress levels like at the moment, Danny? What are you noticing? Um, I think hopefully now we're maybe hitting some good weather. Guys are able to get in. A lot of my client base has finished up canola, um, so that's started to spread the um, or to speed the process up a little bit. So now it's just you know heads down, let's get this done, um, and you know stay safe through this harvest period. Obviously, I think you know a lot of conversations about the grain marketing being frustrated a few guys have got bogged um but generally it's just you know business is normal let's get harvest done and done well ben look i think a a late start and early harvest rain always increases the the stress levels i probably liken it a bit to um starting a game of jenga when the first few blocks have already been pulled like it (laughs) you're kind of starting and each block um just adds to the adds to the stress but look in high yielding years the the decisions are are multiplied or or at least the impact of your decisions are multiplied so I think that carries a bit of additional stress with it Uh, and there's also been a couple of really big and and quite long seasons financially they've been fantastic but but they haven't been without their their challenges and and um, yeah I think a lot of guys are, are looking forward to a rest at the end of the year uh, that, that's true, well that point that you mentioned, Ben, because, I mean, you know, when you think of when planting started and then with the rain delays and, you know, harvest being slow and that's going to finish late, there's not a lot of a – there's not much of a window there to have a break. Ben. I think Ben's dropped off. Danny, would you agree with that? 
Yeah, look, I think it has been a long-growing season, which has been fantastic. But, um, you know, I guess, the you know, if there is an opportunity to get away and take a break, absolutely make the most of it because next year we'll be here and it will throw us its challenges. So we need to be relaxed and, you know, rested, ready to, to make good decisions on the run next year. Well, let's just go around the table finally and just with some sort of final thoughts or observations. Ben, I think you're back with us. So what would you say? What was that? I just missed your question. Sorry, Belinda. This was about the stress levels or for other advice? Yeah, just final words. Look, I, I think for next year, I, I plan for the best, but we also need to kind of adapt for the worst, I suppose. Um, most people just need to, to stick what they do and, and make sure they do it really well. And And the main thing is look after each other, your family, your staff, and, and most of most of all yourself, everything else pales into insignificance when, when health is compromised. So it's, it's just making sure that, that you look after each other. Thank you so much for that, Ben. Craig, what would your final thoughts or advice be at this point? Well, as Danny said, it's been a, it's been a long, uh, very long season. I think we've had bloom sprays in the paddock nearly uh, every month this year. Um, everyone's fatigued. It's been a, like say two good years. It's important everyone gets away from the farm, but I think it's important that we ensure all our staff get away from the farm and, and take a break and come back refreshed. Um, burnout causes accidents and we don't want that sort of thing on the farm. So I think uh, the, the big message is make sure everyone on the farm gets away and takes a decent break and enjoy the season while it's here. As Jay said, enjoy it while it's good. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't really complain, I guess, when you've had two sort of fabulous, and generally speaking, again, there's always the exception, but um, Craig, two fabulous seasons. There must be the mood must be great in your part of the world. Oh, the mood is very great. Everyone's um, uh, over the moon. Uh, the trucks are rolling in. The nor- a lot of the northern farmers are, are winding up now. There's a number of um, uh, harvest um, cutout shows coming up, so people are really celebrating with their whole team the um, the success of the last couple of years. And Danny, your final thoughts, words of advice. What would you say? Um, much along the lines of the other um, guys, but I think it's really just important to acknowledge that how good our grain growers are at doing what they do. They've, you know, done remarkably well over the last few years making decisions in some pretty difficult circumstances, and I think that they will do very well again next year, um, regardless of whatever the season throws at us. And you're going to stress to your clients too, just to take that break, whatever it is, just maybe get to the coast, take that chance? Yeah, take some time away. Like you've you've worked hard, you've had a generally a, an absolutely unbelievable result. But take that time and and do relax and take some time to recharge for next year. It's been really great to talk to you, Danny. Thank you so much for that. And Ben and Craig, I think you're all still on the line. I really appreciate you being part of the show today. Thank you. Thanks, Belinda. Thanks, Belinda. Thanks, Belinda. And thank you for being part of the show too. It has been great just to really have a good look at the season that is at the moment still being harvested and to look ahead. And thanks to Craig Topham from Agrarian Management, Ben Wisson from Consult Ag and also Danny White from Braley Consulting talking about the season. It does look like the state is on track for a record round about 26 million tonne crop worth a record value of $10 billion.